topic today gets submitted to us by S. Beam, who writes, I just read on The Hollywood Reporter that the Predator screenwriters are seeking to take back the rights to the movie by suing Disney, which now owns the IP since the Fox purchase. This particular copyright termination law allows authors to cancel transfers after waiting a period of time, typically 35 years. If they win this, what could it mean for other 1980s movies? Could this be a good thing or a bad thing for those who currently hold rights for older movies? Pretty intriguing. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And uh, yeah, this is fascinating stuff. Now, normally... Most film fans don't care about the legal mumbo-jumbo of this, that, or the other thing. But this is actually pretty interesting. The basic idea here is that, what are they? What are the name of the guys? These two brothers, uh, did they were the ones who wrote a spec script, all right? They weren't hired to write the script. They wrote a spec script called Hunters, which later turned into Predators. And they sold this script to 20th Century Fox, so they could make it into a movie and all that sort of stuff. Here's the thing. Section 203 of the copyright law, of the Copyright Act, has a clause that I've never heard of. I've never heard of this clause. We're not talking about public domain issues. Basically, Section 203 says, if you've created a copyright and then you sell it without the proper terms of the contract, after 35 years, you can just take it back. But what does that mean without the proper terms of the contract? Let's take a look at that, shall we? Did, did you go to law school? I studied law, yes. Okay, all right. I so, was I, I thought that in my memory, but you also have lived a thousand lives. So right. I never I can't keep track of all the different study things. No, I never worked in entertainment law. Like the law I worked in, I worked in um when I was starting out, like when I was clerking, I started out in uh real estate law and okay. then I went to uh personal litigation. And uh, but I never did this sort of stuff. So anyway, but I I do know how to read law. So let's right. go over for a second. And by the way, uh, uh, to dial Dundee sends in a super chat badge. Thank you, man. All right, let's go over. This is what's actually written in the Copyright Act. Okay, Section two hundred three of the Copyright Act permits authors, or if the authors are not alive, their surviving spouses, children, or grandchildren, or executors, administrators, personal representatives, or trustees. Basically, what this is saying is that let's say your great-grandfather wrote Mickey Mouse as a bad example. There's actually... Gone a, with the wind. Let's say gone with the wind. And they wrote his spec scripts, sold it. You, but your grandfather's passed away and your parents passed away. You actually still have a claim to this, which is actually pretty interesting. But anyway, uh, so personal representatives or trustees to terminate the grants. Let's start this from again. Section 203 of the Copyright Act permits authors to terminate grants of copyright assignments and licenses that were made on or after January 1st, 1978, when certain conditions have been met. Notices of termination may be served no earlier than 25 years after the execution of the grant or if the grant covers the right of publication no earlier than 30 years after the execution of the grant or 25 years after publication under the grant, whichever comes first. However, termination of grant cannot be effective. Effective in law basically means this is when it actually happens. Okay. Termination of a grant cannot be effective until 
35 years after the execution of the grant, or if the grant covers the rights of publication no earlier than 40 years after the execution of the grant, or 35 years after publication under the grant, whichever comes first. Now, there is a million caveats and subsections and all this kind of stuff. So basically what's happening here is this. These brothers who wrote this movie, they apparently in 2016, because remember, you can't submit a claim of termination until at least 25 years have passed. Well, let me just get some clarification okay. here. Just and and I and I might interrupt you as we're going on, and I I apologize for that, but I want to make sure that we get everything clear. Yes. You said that they wrote a spec script originally called Hunters, which then ultimately became Predator. They just changed the title. But the script itself was, was the script. Yeah. So it wasn't like they made a script, a spec script, and then when 20th Century Fox bought it, it was then rewritten into something else. To the else. best of my knowledge, correct. Okay. They may have toyed <clears throat> with it or tinkered with it. But, but they wrote the script. Yes. Okay. They were not hired by 20th Century Fox. Correct. But they wrote it on their own as a spec. And then they sent, they brought it to 20th Century Fox and said, what do you think? 20th Century Fox said, we love it. We're going to buy it. We're going to make it. Got it. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know what we're talking about when we say spec, spec is literally short term for speculation. So a spec script. Now, normally what happens or what can normally happen is a producer has the rights to a certain story and they hire a writer and say, write the script of this story for me. And they pay the writer for their services to write it. A spec script is when nobody has hired you to write a script. It's just up to you. You just take it on yourself. Say, I've got an idea for something. And you write it yourself, and then you kind of shop it around. It's actually a great way, especially for people who want to break into television. Uh, true story, Stephen Denight, who, as many of you know, was the showrunner for Spartacus. He That's how he actually broke into the world, the Joss Whedon world. He was a big fan of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. He wrote a spec script for an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. His agent at the time was like, yeah, Joss Whedon's never going to see this. Somehow, I don't know how because most people will not accept uh, unsolicited scripts, but somehow he got the script in front of Joss Whedon. Joss Whedon said, I loved your spec. Would you like to come and like hang out in the writer's room and got to know each other? And the next thing you know, he was hired as a writer on Buffy and then Firefly and the rest is history. So I have heard that uh, writing a spec script for a an existing television show is often a better way to get your foot in the door versus writing a pilot and trying to. Actually, compete. Ronald D. Moore of my all time favorite television show, Bowstar Galactica. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, uh, Robert Meyer Burnett would know the answer to this better, but I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Ronald D. Moore um, wrote spec scripts for Star Trek The Next Generation, and that's how he kind of got discovered. So yeah. I, I'm not saying it happens all the time. It certainly doesn't, but it is one of the avenues to get in. At any rate, these two guys write this spec script. They sell it off. Now, apparently, there's a clause. So in 2016, this, which is well after 25 years, which is 25 years, I should say, after they sold the license and 25 years is when you are legally allowed to first submit a notice of termination that will become effective after 35 years. So they submitted it in 2016 and Fox never responded to it. They never responded to it. They never objected, nothing like that. And it wasn't until earlier this year or last year, once Disney got their hands on it, that they started to refute it. And now Disney is trying is going to try to fight this. They have now filed a countersuit What's interesting here, now I will let you guys, this is a great article on this over at Deadline. Just search Deadline, Disney lashes back at original Predator scribes. Search it on Google, read this whole article. But the basics of it is this. 
Disney's not saying they're not allowed to take this property back. Disney is is basically using the foundation of those guys didn't properly submit the termination notice. So therefore, we get to ignore the termination notice according to law. So that's kind of their that's kind of their pushback right now. Is there there so they're trying to claim that they should be able to just keep it cuz they're saying that the plaintiffs did not submit the termination pro uh, notice properly. It's really intriguing. There's a lot of different little legal loopholes in law, obviously. But instead of going in-depth into this particular incident, what makes this fascinating to me is the entire entertainment world is going to be watching this story. Because if this holds up, and if these guys are able to just take back their Predator IP. And Disney already has plans to new to do new Predator. If they're able to take that back, then a lot of studios are going to be getting their legal teams to go through every single movie they've ever made and say, did we pay for this movie to get made or did we buy a spec script? And where are we in trouble? Where are we not? It's just going to be really interesting. It could turn the whole thing on its head. Now, of course... What I think there is a 95% chance of happening here is that this never actually goes to trial. I believe Disney will probably give the lawyers for these guys a call and say, here's 20 million bucks. Go away. Never talk about this again. And there'll be like some undisclosed settlement and the dudes will go, cool. And they'll walk off into the sunset. So I think that's probably most likely. Well, that's what happens to 95% of all litigation, by the way. But it's going to be very interesting to see how this turns out. Aaron, you know, as somebody who works in the industry, like I, I got to say, I have never even heard of Article 203 of the yeah. Copyright Act. I've never even heard of it until this thing came along. So what was your reaction to it? And what do you see as maybe being some of the ramifications? Well, as soon as I started reading Article 203, I just thought to myself, this is why I'm very happy that I have a lawyer um, yes. because there, you know what? I, I, I know where my special skills are and I know where my limitations are. And legalese is not a language that I speak very well. Uh, I will, I will be the first person to admit that. But that being said, I guess um, immediately after that thought, I, I, I wondered, well, to what end? Like, what is what is the purpose if you are the writers of the spec script? Is it that you've seen how, you, you know, this script that you wrote a million years ago? Well, I guess in this case, 35 years ago, that you were certainly paid what probably sounded like a lot of money at the time. But then you've seen your baby go off and make so many people that you don't even know all this money. And now you're, you know, at a point in your life where you're going, hey, it would have been really nice to be able to continue to cash in on this thing that the studio has certainly cashed in on. You know, and, and I'm imagining that they did not have some sort of clause in their original contract that said, OK, we're going to sell you this script but then we're also going to get, you know, a percentage on the back end of every of, of what what it makes. And then if there's ever any spinoffs or ever any sequels, we're also going to get spinoffs of that, uh, excuse me, percentages of that. I'm assuming that these writers have not seen a dime since that original sale, because had they been receiving back end points in perpetuity for the lifetime of the property, I wouldn't I don't see this as being an issue. Um, so you're absolutely right. If someone sold a spec script and they got paid, say, one hundred thousand dollars. Right. 
And then that movie went on to make hundreds of millions of dollars, if not over a billion, over the course of that property's lifetime with the sequels and the Alien versus Predator, et cetera. I'd be pretty darn pissed about my little, you know, measly hundred thousand dollars. Um, that being said, you also have to really, in order for you to have a case against a behemoth company like Disney, you know, you better make sure that you've got something, you know, that you've that you've got a really good case. And I agree with you. I cannot imagine that um, that this is going to be a case that um, that Disney's going to lose. Number one, because they have the lawyers. And they could literally keep this – they could keep this in court or in litigation until the grandchildren of the writers of Predator have had grandchildren. Well, there was a similar case involving the same two lawyers. There was a long-standing case between Warner Brothers with the Superman property and the families and descendants of the creators of Superman who are trying to get the rights back. And the same two lawyers involved in the two sides of this Predator case were the same two lawyers on opposite sides in there. And that thing stretched out forever. But if you're Disney, well, you what was the, the question. Well, what was the ruling in the Superman Ultimately, case? Ultimately, that one went back. That did, Warner Brothers won that case, but it was kind of a separate thing. It was a kind of a different issue. But if you're Disney, you got to ask yourself, yes, we have this legal army. How much is it going to cost us to drag this legal army over a seven-year court case? And at what point do we go, it'll be 85% cheaper for us just to pay these guys off? Well, yes. You know I, I mean? No, I yeah. think they're 100%. Like, I, I actually have a friend of mine who's a lawyer, and, uh, and we were talking just the – I mean, I have – we all have – we all know lawyers. But – um. This particular friend was saying the very first action you always take is see if they'll take money. Just offer them a, you know, a, a, an amount of cash, see how much they're willing to be paid for. Um, but if these writers are not willing to just take a big fat check, which in my opinion, take the big fat check, uh, then Disney, it's going to be a drop in the bucket to drag this thing out versus actually letting this potentially play out in court and on the off chance that these writers win this case against Disney, then that sets precedent. No, and that's, the, and that's when not only Disney, exactly. but the entire studio system is effed with a capital E. Yeah. And this is, this is, so, you know, Warner brothers, Sony, everybody's in Disney's corner on this. Here's where it's a little bit different. Whereas a lot of the stuff in that Superman case was very nebulous. This one is interesting because it is black and white law. Mm, After mm -hmm. 35 years, you can terminate copyright and take it back. And that's why Disney, again, I, I encourage everybody to go and read that article on Deadline, okay? And go and read it for yourself. But Disney's only argument right now just seems to be they didn't follow the proper administrative technicality yeah. of submitting the application. Which so leads us to believe that their lawyers are like, Technically, they might have a case. Yeah, this this could get very, very, very interesting. So it's going to be cool to see how this goes. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? I'm fascinated by this, even though 95% chance this is just going to disappear into the wind in a very in a very hush-hush closed-door settlement. Disney will cut a big fat check to these guys and it will never be spoken of again. 
but it could come up in other cases moving forward. And that's why after 1978, I guarantee you most studios probably started negotiating when they were buying spec scripts. We want it in the contract that you forfeit all future rights under the Copyright Act to come back and terminate this thing. But it's going to be interesting to find out how many of these movies are out there. Question is, guys, what do you think about this? Are you as fascinated by me? Or do you think legal, 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 blah, 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 yawn? However you feel about it, jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Terrence Willoughby, who writes, Hey, John and Aaron, if she's there, she is here. She's as a matter here. Of fact. It looks like things on Last of Us are moving forward pretty quickly. I just read that Gabriel Luna has joined the cast. I really liked him in The Last Terminator and as Ghost Rider. Anyway, what do you think of his addition to the cast? All right, thanks a lot for sending that in. And of course, Last of Us... You know, video game movies suck. It's as true as, you know, death and taxes. Video game movies suck. It's an inevitability. But we've got a lot of things of hope on the horizon. The Last of Us is one of those things. Now, of course, recently we found out that Pedro Pascal is going to be playing Joel in The Last of Us. Fantastic talent. Can't wait. Uh, the young girl, I keep forgetting her name, who played Lady Mormont in Game of Thrones. She's going to be playing Ellie, which I was very excited to hear. But now it does look... Like, they've gone off and got, honestly, the perfect guy to play Joel's brother, Tommy. If you're going to have Pedro Pascal, you got to get Gabriel Luna. This comes to us from the folks over at Variety who write, The Last of Us series adaptation at HBO has added Gabriel Luna to its cast, Variety has learned. Luna joins previously announced series leads Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey, that's her name, who played Lady Mormont, uh, who will star as Joel and Ellie, respectively. Aluna will star as Tommy, Joel's younger brother, a former soldier who, who hasn't lost his sense of idealism and hope for a better world. That, of course, comes to us from the good folks over at Variety. Uh, listen, I got to tell you, this is one of the very rare comic book properties that I think stands a really good chance because this Last of Us is all narrative. It's just all pure, fantastic narrative. Last of Us 2 is probably the best storytelling I've ever seen in a video game in my life. It was just, I was like, my guts were ripped out. My heart was broken. You're invested in this. I was just completely floored by the story of it. Now, obviously, they're going to start with the story of Last of Us 1. We'll see how far this goes. I, I think Gabriel Luna's great. Listen, that last Terminator movie, not fantastic. <laughs> but I really dug the way he chose to portray that, that Terminator. And obviously, a lot of people really liked him uh, as Ghost Rider in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I don't even like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I thought him as Ghost Rider was pretty good. You pair him up with Pedro Pascal, I think this is a no-duh. I, I think this is a really great casting, so I'm excited about this. Anyway, Aaron, you heard about this casting. What do you think? Well, I'm just excited about this property in general. We've been talking about this for quite a while, um, you know, and, and, and I, I also love the fact that this is brilliant casting for incredible actors, um, you know, a beautiful pairing, as you said, with Pedro Pascal, and certainly a well-deserved casting for Gabriel Luna, who has more than earned his position to be in such a hot property with his work in these other big franchise properties, um, but also you know, shows us a little more diversity than just the standard casting than we've been used to over the past, you know, 10 years. And, and, it, and, and I, and I look at that not as, 
oh, okay, well, you know, this is a diversity casting. It's clearly not. It's just showing that, you know, when you open the world up to look at any possibility for anyone to play roles and you just go for the best possible performers, um, you know, that can look like a lot of different things. And I love that Hollywood is starting to 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 wake up to that, um, but also to uh, to to elevate the 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 to elevate the opportunities um, for people who, you know, were not getting seen for these opportunities 10 years ago with the whitewashing of characters who even if written as being uh, one ethnicity or another are now, you know, actually being cast as such. Well, and that's that's one of the things. Look, we talked about this on the show when they first cast Pedro Pascal. The thing is, like some people will say, well, wait a second, Joel and his brother are supposed to be white guys. No, they're not. No, they're not. Hey, guess what? That's like saying, you know, wait a minute. Wolverine is supposed to be four foot 11. Not in the movies. He's not in the movies. He's six foot one. Hugh Jackman. Yeah. You're, you're thinking about something else in the movie, in the movies that they have done so far. Wolverine is six foot one, six foot two. It doesn't matter what he was in the comic book. In the movies, he's this. Well, so, Mickey Rooney's character in Breakfast at Tiffany's was supposed to be Asian. Right. So well. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to be Mickey Rooney. So, you know, we can do anything. That's so. why all that matters is did they get really good talent to exactly. play the role? Exactly. And, and clearly in this case, they did. Last of Us is continue with every single casting choice and every piece of information that they're sharing. They're letting us know, hey, we're working on something good here. And it just continues to increase the excitement about this this uh, this project. Do we know when that's planning on coming out? Oh, I can't remember off the top of my head. Okay. I can't remember off the top of my head. The question is for you guys. Maybe you guys jump in the live uh, in the live chat there if you guys know the, the release of it. I, I can't remember. But anyway, guys, question is, what do you think about the addition of Gabriel Luna to play Pedro Pascal's brother? I think this is a great casting. I think these two are going to pair off really well. What do you guys think? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down let's move on to main topic number three and our third main topic today gets submitted to us by Ophel m who i know somebody named Ophel actually Ophel m writes as the dceu continues to move forward in this new direction uh one of the move in this new direction one of the movies i can't wait for is the next aquaman i love the first one i'm also a big game of thrones fan so you know i get excited about the news uh you know, help me out pilo Aspec, uh he played euron Greyjoy in game of thrones was joining the movie with jason momoa so i guess you could say it's a game of thrones reunion i haven't seen pilo in anything other than thrones so I wanted to know what you think of him and his casting. Thanks. All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yeah, listen, this guy as Euron Greyjoy in Game of Thrones was awesome. I loved every scene he was in in that. Now, I'm not familiar with a lot of his work, right? The only other things that I know him from are uh, Ghost in a Shell. Not the best movie, but he was, mm -hmm. he was pretty good in it. But the other one was... The tragically underwatched movie Overlord that he starred in, along with Wyatt Russell, who is currently, you know, Walmart Captain America oh, and Falcon and Winter Soldier. Overlord was a lot of fun and ain't nobody went to go see it. It was a fun little movie. And oh, he was also in Ben-Hur. 
Oh, well, that's a, another very forgettable movie. Yeah. That was a very, oh, God, that was so bad. Uh, but at any rate, this guy in Game of Thrones and an overlord, I just think he was terrific. So adding him to an Aquaman. Now, so obviously because we're most familiar with him as Greyjoy, we're thinking villain. And maybe he will be the villain. Uh, maybe he'll be a villain here. Maybe yes, maybe no. We don't know. I don't want to typecast the guy. But overall... This is pretty fantastic. I like this guy. He's got a terrific screen presence. He has a way of coming on screen. Because listen, Game of Thrones had some really big, larger-than-life performers and characters. But whenever Euron was on screen, he owned the screen. He captured your attention. And if he can bring that kind of presence to a movie like Aquaman 2, hell yes, sign me up. Anyway, Aaron, you heard about this. What do you think about the addition of, I'm going to try it again, uh, Pilo... Pilo Asbeck? Asbeck. Yeah, that's how I'm saying it. I'm probably wrong, but what do you think about him joining the cast? Oh, of I think Man it's too? great. Yeah, I, I I agree. He had uh he has had a a charisma that I think is what really sells a villain. You know, when we yeah. talk about the greatest villains in cinema history, I mean, I challenge you to come up with one that uh that that would top Anthony Hop Hopkins? In Towns of the Lambs. No. Yes. And sorry, I just like all, all of a sudden I was questioning that, you know, I mean, as, certainly there have been many who uh, could be arguably uh, more of a villain. But certainly when when most people think of the ultimate movie villain, we think of Silence of the Lambs, uh, Hannibal Lecter as played by Anthony Hopkins. And so much of that was the fact that he was so charismatic. And I thought that is what um, Pilo, Pilo, however pronounce his name, sorry, uh, brought to Euron Greyjoy. And he's also, what I was noticing as I was flipping through just some pictures, he's a big guy. He is a big guy, he's yeah. A, he's tall. He he has a very a large uh, uh, physique. <laughs> All I see is got, he's got a very large... He's a, um, <laughs> I'm trying, to, I'm trying to say it without like sounding like I'm sexualizing him because I'm absolutely not. I'm just saying that like he, I can see him and uh, he and Jason Momoa going head to head without one of them. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm still listening on the large Jason Momoa and him going head to head. Hey, that's a you thing, John. I am not saying that at all. I'm just saying he is. He's very broad shoulders. He's a big guy, and so I, I'm, ex I, I, I'm excited to see him stacked up against Jason Momoa. Um, you know, like for example, if Jason Momoa was doing. Uh, Aquaman with Seth Green. It probably would be a little <laughs> bit of a different dynamic. You know, uh, D Seth Green is brilliant in his own way, but uh, just the physical nature of the two of them, kind of like when you added Dwayne The Rock Johnson with v Vin Diesel in the Fast and the Furious franchise, yeah, you were yeah. like, wow, these are two like, you know, mega dudes like going after it, you know, on a, on a very physical action packed movie. And so uh, I'm, I'm excited just because I feel like uh, his natural charisma that we saw in Game of Thrones, plus um, he has a, a formidable stature about him yeah. that I think is going to be to work really well opposite Jason Momoa, um, who also has an incredible charisma yeah, he does. on screen. So I, I think that this is going to be a very exciting pairing, and I look forward to seeing the chemistry that the two actors have together. 
And uh, I had a lot. I just had a lot of fun with Aquaman. It was the, I believe, yeah, it was the first DCU movie to make a billion dollars. I mean, I didn't think that movie was going to, I knew Aquaman was going to be a big hit. I, I said that, for, but I never thought it would make 800 million. Right. Let alone a billion yeah. at the box office. And lo and behold, for them. I'm looking forward to seeing what they do here. Question is for you guys. What do you think about the addition of Pilo? Oh, hell, let's just call him Euron Greyjoy to Aquaman <laughs> 2. I think it's really interesting. How do you guys feel about it? Jump on down to the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. Okay, guys, with that down, let's move on to main topic number four. And our fourth and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Richard. And Richard writes, yo, okay, I know this kind of sounds like a Gus's gas station blog rumor, but it actually comes from the mouth of the star and director. Michelle Rodriguez and Justin Lin were asked if we could see a Fast and Furious crossover with Jurassic Park, and they actually said it could happen. I know it sounds crazy, but don't forget, they were going to cross over Men in Black and 21 Jump Street. That's true. The plans were there in the works to cross those two things over. So it could happen, right? What do you think the chances are that we see a T-Rex living a quarter mile at a time? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yeah, look, let's not forget a number of years ago, not so long ago, we found out because of the Sony email hacks that they were honestly and seriously contemplating, even had scripts written for the idea of a 21 Jump Street and Men in Black crossover. I hated that idea at first. And I remember as time went on, I started to dig the idea. I can't remember why I started to dig the idea, but whatever. Maybe I just thought, this is just so ludicrous. I got to see it. Well, obviously, a lot of people now, there's a big thing in fandom that always talking about, let's cross over this with this and this with this and this with this and this with this and get to the point. So somebody, I remember seeing on Twitter a long time ago, somebody made a meme of Fast and the Furious with dinosaurs, right? Which was out there. So, you know, Michelle Rodriguez and Justin Lin were straight up asked, could we ever see, you know, Fast and the Furious cross with like Jurassic Park because they're under the same studio banner? Could that actually happen? And what they said could surprise you. This is what they said. Michelle Rodriguez started to answer first and she said, I'm all in. Once you reach a certain pinnacle, there's nowhere to go but to cross brands and merge. It's what big corporations do with each other when they get too big. You just have to brand and merge with each other. The only thing standing in the way is lawyers and studios. Usually, the brands that you're trying to merge belong to different studios. But if it's under the same umbrella, I don't know. I'm just saying it works. At which point the director of Fast and Fierce jumps in, Justin Lin, he says, I never say never to anything. Part of our philosophy is not to ever be boxed in or labeled. That's all I will say. So remember, this is in response to the question about whether or not they will actually cross over uh, Jurassic Park and Fast and Furious. Now, look, let me say this clearly. I do not believe this is ever going to happen. I do not believe there. this is ever going to happen. However, I will say this. Normally, when actors and directors are posed with preposterous questions like this, there is a, I mean, no, but I mean, you never know. You never want to say never, right? They just spoke in both, especially Michelle Rodriguez, just spoke, like kind of laid it out. Listen, you hit a certain point. What's there left to do? We've got Ludacris and Tyrese in space suits in one of their, with rockets. What is left for us to do? At some point, you you merge brands, and she's obviously given this thought. This, this is all under one roof of Universal, 
this is something it could happen and I would be all in. And then Justin Lissick looks at all I'm going to say about this is we never want to narrow ourselves down, blah, blah, blah. Now, look, again, I don't really think there's any real chance of this happening. But what other franchise than Fast and the Furious could you bring up such a proposal where it's actually not the craziest thing you're going to hear today? You will probably hear three or four other things today that are crazy. And again, I say that having already established, I do not think this is ever going to happen. But if we were talking, I don't know, Star Wars and Jurassic Park. I mean, that's you just dismiss that out of hand. If you're talking about James Bond and Jurassic Park, you dismiss that out of hand. If you want to talk about the hangover crossing with Jurassic Park, you dismiss that out of hand. Fast and the Furious crossing with Jurassic Park. You know, if any franchise is going to do that, you could probably do it with Fast and the Furious. Again, I don't think it'll ever happen, but it's at least a little bit intriguing, especially when you hear Michelle Rodriguez and Justin Lin talk about it. Anyway, Aaron, I mean, in the world of preposterous things that we're always hearing, number one, address what you think is the likely, the realistic likelihood of something like this could happen. And number two, do you think it should be something that they consider? I don't know. What do you think? I have been holding this in for so long. It's actually happening. You, okay, you no. <laughs> no, it's not happening. It's happening. never going to happen. It is never going to happen. It's a, And you talk about, oh, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. And they were talking about Men in Black and, you know, 21 Jump Street. Yeah, it didn't happen either. Like yeah. there's a million conversations, you know, there was also a Harriet Tubman movie starring Julia Roberts as Harriet Tubman. That was a conversation, but it never happened for very obvious reasons. You know, uh, Fast and the Furious, yes, at a certain point, what else do you do? Michelle Rodriguez is not wrong. And I also love the fact that they're like, hey, man, anything could happen. And when it does, if it does, we're available. That's brilliant like that's what you're supposed to do you're supposed to say hey man i'm up for anything let's go and then wait until the offers roll in i get that however we're only seeing the um the statements from people associated with fast and the furious right yes chris pratt hasn't said anything about this crossover steven spielberg hasn't said anything about this crossover and i hate to say it but if we're comparing properties, Fast and the Furious is great for many, many, many reasons. And Jurassic Park is great for many, many, many reasons. However, they are not the same. They are not on equal footing. No, they are not. And I don't think that I have to go into detail about why. Now, if you said to me, hey, there's talk about a Fast and the Furious Transformers crossover, I might go, Okay, all right, let's talk about this. Vin Diesel, you know, and Bumblebee jump, you know, are like, right. I can see that a little bit more because with Transformers, there is a suspension of disbelief where you really have to go, okay, this is so unbelievable, but we're going to go there. Now, as far as dinosaurs is concerned, people say, oh, well, there's no way that could happen. Au contraire, I was actually listening to the radio this morning. Wow. It's, yes, it's that thing that when you're in your car, if you don't 
immediately connect your Bluetooth, you can turn it. A, there's a dial and it will find people oh, playing music out there. Wow. Yeah. It's, uh, it was actually quite a nostalgic moment. So I was listening to it and apparently a scientist, this is a true story. Scientists have figured out how to splice human and uh, primate DNA, uh, uh, monkey or ape DNA, so that uh, they can have a monkey human hybrid. So, and they're going to do that so that they can do more humane testing, which is a whole other conversation. But the point is the uh, reanimation of dinosaurs is not completely out of the realm of reality. Okay. Cars turning into, well, robots, that's actually already happening too. God damn it. My whole theory is <laughs> just blown out of the water. Science needs to slow down. But my point is, I, I do think that there is a certain, uh, maybe you know the word. I don't, I don't know if it's depth or gravitas or there's something. The word a, Rob likes to use is verisimilitude. Oh, geez. I'm not using verisimilitude <laughs> because that is Rob's word. And heaven forbid I start using that on this show. But if Rob were to say it, he would probably say there is a verisimilitude of Jurassic Park. Right. That I just don't think uh, translates with Fast and the Furious. Fast and the Furious has its own wonderful qualities, but I do I don't think that these two properties are on equal enough footing um, for this to be a successful crossover. I'll tell you what, I'm still kind of fixated on this whole Fast and the Furious Transformers crossover. Lo right? <laughs> I'm kind of like, let's on do that. it. I think that that could actually be. I, I think that could actually work. You know, because why not? When, you know, like like Jurassic Park, it really tugs on the heartstrings. And yes, there are moments in Fast and the Furious, and there are moments in uh, Transformers like that tug on the heartstrings too. But you really got to work to find them. Yeah. You know, Jurassic Park, like just the music alone brings oh. like, I mean, your John heart, Williams' score. Your heart just starts swelling and all Laura Dern has to do is look up and you know exactly like what she's looking at or Bryce Dallas Howard just has to turn and you can just imagine what she's seeing. We're not getting that from Tyrese. <laughs> God love him. We're not getting that from Ludacris. Love them both. Wonderful performances in the Fast but and the Furious. But that's not Fast and Furious. But that's, these two things are, these, one of these things is not like the other. This is not a good matchup. I can write the script for it already. I can just hear it now. Vin Diesel's just like, yeah, Megatron, you got Energon. I got family. Make and this that's happen. That's like, why that's are we wasting thing. time with Jurassic Park? Let them do their thing. They have so far to go before they jump their shark. Fast and Furious jumped your shark like with the third. Like Tokyo Drift was jumping shark. You guys <laughs> did it. You succeeded. You like beat all the odds. Keep going. No one's trying to slow you down. Just let Jurassic Park do their thing. Go for Transformers. I'm begging you. All right, guys, the question is for you. What do you think about these? I just think it's very, very fascinating. Again, I never think in a thousand years is actually going to happen, but I thought it was fascinating. And what other franchise could you be talking about other than Fast and the Furious to do something like this? How do you guys feel about it? Jump on down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys, with that down and out of the way, 
Let's start moving on and taking your live comments and questions. Once again, if you want to get in a live comment or question, simply go down into the tip link in the description of the video, or you can just enter it in manually at www.streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's appropriate for the show. And of course, you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. With that down, let's get into your live stuff here. We're going to start off here with Edge Boy, who writes... Screw all that dumb tech. What chair is that, man? Damn thing looks comfortable as hell. Oh, my chair. Anyway, I don't <laughs> think the power broker will even be shown. Uh, this reminds me of the engineer theories going wild from WandaVision, and we all got let down. Thanks, John. Uh, I didn't get let down. I mean, it just didn't work out the way I thought it was going to go, but I didn't get let down by it. Yeah, this chair, I love this chair. This is the best office chair I have ever had. What is it, and where did it come from? I don't know. I I literally just got fact checker Jonathan and Ray one day and I said, guys, my chair is killing me. Go pick me a chair. And they went out, <laughs> came back three hours later and I had this and I, I love it. It's actually really comfy. It's got all the support. I love this damn thing. But you know what? You're right. I, I'm starting to feel like we may not even see the power broker. We only got one episode left. And don't forget, we do, of course, have our uh, spoiler discussion of Falcon and Winter Soldier episode five later this afternoon at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time. But I, I have a feeling we may not even see him now. I mean, they may pop up him or her may pop up in the uh, final episode. But I think there's a chance we don't see them at all, at least not yet. Anyway, there's that. OK, next up. James Lockman writes, could Loki be the power broker? No. Uh, and then it leads into his show. No, Loki's not. Uh, I just like, I, I don't like to give goose eggs to anything, but the reality is there's, that would be so incredibly rando. And from what we've seen in the trailer of Loki with the time variance authority and what he's going on, him just sitting down in Madripoor being the power broker forever for how, however long and by the way timeline wise it doesn't match up so i feel pretty good james saying never although you know how much i love loki and tom hiddleston playing him what i'm gonna say no that's probably a big goose egg on that all right uh, ben falcone is the power broker writes of course we were talking about ben falcone yesterday um this week 10 years ago we were blessed with atlas shrugged part one the con cons the Conspirator, Rio, and Scream 4. 20 years ago, we had the Oscar Award winner, Joe Dirt, Josie and the Pussycats, Bridget Jones' Diary, which is actually, I really like Bridget Jones' Diary. Uh, Johnny, which movies stick out to you? Have a great day. Well, I mean, the only one that sticks out to me in any sort of positive way is Bridget Jones' Diary. I even like the sequel. I even like the sequel to that. Did you ever watch that? Or do one of these movies stand out to you more than Bridget Jones? Bridget Jones Diary, Josie and the Pussycats, and what was the other one? Uh, Bridget Jones Diary, Josie and the Pussycats, Conspirator, Rio, that's the animated bird movie, Scream 4, um, Joe Dur and Joe Dirt. And what are we talking about? Like, the, the, I'm so confused. So what are some of those came out 10 years ago this right? week. The other half came out 20 years ago to this week. These are the anniversaries. This week is the anniversary of those films. Any of those stand out to you? Um, Joe Dirt. I never <laughs> saw the movie, but I remember Just the poster. <laughs> well, no, I was work when I was working in Detroit on Detroit One Eight Seven. I um I was with Kid Rock, and because there were, I mean, when you're in Detroit, it's not uncommon to run to be with Kid, Kid Rock. <laughs> it's actually not like I'm not saying that to brag. It's literally like Detroit's not a big city, and so and Kid Rock's hanging out all the time. So and you're gonna if you don't know him directly, you're gonna know someone who knows him. And I jokingly said, "Hey, why don't you come and you know do a guest star on our show? Be really great for ratings." 
And he said, um, he goes, I he goes, I tried acting once and I did Joe Dirt and I was terrible. I and totally I, forgot about that. Yeah, and he said, so my acting days are done. And so I, I remember thinking, you know what? I didn't see Joe Dirt, but now I have even less reason. If you if you can't even watch your own movie that you were in, then I go, all right, that's definitely a movie that I don't need to see. So <laughs> that's just like a random story. But um, no, I'm going to be honest. I never saw any of those movies. You never saw Bridget Jones' Diary? I know. It's kind of weird, right? You would think that like, I Even would... I've seen Bridget Jones' Diary. It's actually really good. And I'm a chick. What no, a... it's not that you... <laughs> it's just... I, it's a type of movie that, knowing you, I feel like that's one uh, that's you know more what? up your, up your I alley. I am not a fan of rom-coms. I just find most of them so contrived, so forced, so, like... And yeah, stereotypes exist for a reason because there's often, uh, you know, an element of truth. I get that. So I do understand that. But it's like, I I just, they're just not my thing. It, they don't intrigue me. I, I like psychological thrillers. That's, I like period pieces of, uh, even psychological thrillers that are period pieces, like Double Indemnity. Um, I just... Rom-coms aren't my thing. I'm not really attracted to them. So if there's a specific reason for me to watch one, then I will. But yeah, I never saw Bridget Jones' Diary. It just didn't really look exciting to me. All right. It's it's more, it's half comedy, half drama. It's actually, it's actually really quite good. I'm sure, I like no, it. I have no doubt that it's great. And I'm sure that in the world of all the movies that I still need to sit down and watch, sure, Bridget Jones' Diary is is one of them. I mean, it's a movie that has clearly stood the test of time. People are still talking about it. People still love it. Um, Renee Zellweger was nominated for her first Academy Award for that, I believe. Um, so sure, I'm not saying that it's not a movie that I should see. I'm just saying it's not a movie that at the time I had any interest in seeing. All right, let's move on. Next up comes us from Jason who writes, when a studio releases a trailer on YouTube, do they work with other channels to play the same trailer? It might just be me, but it bugs me when other channels upload a trailer and put official trailer in the thumbnail and title. I, I don't know why that would bother you. It's it's a commercial. <laughs> it's a it's a piece of corporate manipulative marketing to try to trick you into watching a movie. I mean, I love trailer. I did an entire documentary about trailers, but I mean, why does it bother you when somebody uploads? But yes, a studio will often coordinate and whitelist and give certain YouTube channels the rights to upload their things as well because they want to get that reach. Not everybody can do it. Don't go get a copyright strike. But yeah, they will often work with other channels to upload their uh, trailers as well. Because they I want can't to get decide if I really want to be friends with someone who has so few problems that the only thing they're pissed off about is the YouTube trailers or if the this thumbnail is, to the YouTube, the trailers. thumbnail to the YouTube trailers. <laughs> Or if this is just a person who will complain about anything, because it doesn't really seem oh, like Oh, come that. on. We all complain about the weirdest things sometimes. We all do. But no, I... I, I feel like that's a personal dig, John. No, I'm saying... <laughs> you know me. I will bitch and moan and rant about the weirdest things. I do bitch and moan to you things. a lot about a lot of things. So, so yeah, do I. True. All right. That's true. What's next? Mike Thompson writes, Hey, John, I recommend you give the Ninja Turtles cartoon from 2003 a try. Of course I gave the Ninja Turtles cartoon from 2003 a try. It sucks. <laughs> uh, it's still kid-friendly, but far darker and more mature than its 87 version. Oh, you know what? Maybe I'm thinking of a different one than the 2003, more mature than 1987 version, and borrows many themes and storylines directly from the comics, and it's available on Paramount+. Plus. You know what? You know, I take that back. I step that back. Maybe I have checked it out. 
Maybe I haven't. I will have to take a step back and maybe go and check that out. We've been talking about Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles a little bit lately because I actually think the incarnation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the skateboard riding, pizza eating, cowabunga dude guys, are an absolute abomination. Yeah, I don't get it. The real Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which were created in the early 80s in comic books, they were a black and white comic book. They were dark. They were violent. They were gory. It's about these ninjas who would go and kill like members of the other ninja clan, the foot and stuff like that. It was very dark and very serious but in why its were ridiculousness. They turtles? I can't remember. They're, they were mutated. They were turtles in a half shell. But anyway. I like teenage mutant ninjas. Sure. But why turtles? Anyway, then everybody gets mad at me for that because everybody grew up loving the teenage mutant. I think they're an abomination of what the originals are. All right. Let's move on. Next up, uh, Tronathan writes, I got to be honest with you. I don't like it when you and other critics talking about a movie calling it garbage or trash or any other shit talk. It's like saying it's awful or terrible isn't good enough. It makes you guys sound unprofessional. Well, fuck yourself. I'm sorry. Fuck you. Well, fuck yourself. I'm sorry. I didn't realize that you were coming here if for professionalism. I, if I call think, HR. If I think something <laughs> is trash, I'm going to call it trash. If I think something is great, I'm going to say it's great. If I think something is fucking orgasmic, I'm going to say I fucking came in my pants. A little bit of Lonely Island there for you. I <laughs> I like. I don't like it when you sing. Well, go fuck yourself. I don't give a shit if you like the words that I use. I really don't. <laughs> Like any, any film critic, any, but anybody should, if, if something, if there's terminology that accurately reflects how they feel about a piece, uh, about a piece of art or subject matter, then that's the words and terminology they should use. If I think something is a little subpar, I'll say something's a little subpar. If I think something is, you know, awful, I'll, I'll say it's awful. If I think something though, it needs something to accurately represent my thoughts on something if I need to go beyond just saying it's awful or whatever, because I don't think that accurately captures how I feel about it, and I think it's absolute garbage, then I need to say I think it's absolute garbage. Now, I will, of course, always follow that up by saying it's all subjective. Just because I didn't like it doesn't mean you shouldn't like it. But if I'm going to properly communicate so you understand how I felt, then I'm going to use terminology that I think accurately reflects how I felt about it. And if... Your precious little behind can't handle that, then I'm sorry. But you're not going to censor me and you're not going to put rules on me about how I can or cannot express my overwhelming, orgasmic, stained filled love of something. Okay, okay. Or my absolute garbage, terrible dumpster fire of something. I'll use it when I think it's applicable. So, I, I mean, well, man. and also, like, let's be serious here. We're not directing these comments at a human being, okay? There are plenty of YouTube shows that you can click on where people are being referred to as garbage and people are being referred to as terrible. We're talking about art, which is subjective. Now, I can sit here and say Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, for example, is a piece of garbage film. One of my dear friends was in that film. She is not a piece of garbage. She is a remarkable human being. The people who wrote the film are not garbage or terrible human beings. It's just that, you know what? Maybe something that they did was kind of garbage. I will be the first person to say that I was in an episode of Bold and the Beautiful, and it was garbage. It was fucking awful. And when I watch myself in that, I'm like, damn, that girl sucks. However, I don't think that I'm garbage. I just go, wow, my performance in that was garbage, you know? And so like, 
your priorities are a little shifted if you're getting butthurt about the fact that we're not using politically correct terminology when we're talking about subjective art, okay? So if you don't like it, I mean... Again, it's called the John Campia show for a reason. At the end of the day, my job is to give my thoughts, opinions and viewpoints on certain things. That's all I can do is give you my perspective. But if I'm going to do that accurately, then sometimes I need to use terminology that will make you that will make it abundantly clear what my thoughts on it are. So, yes, I will not be censored. I will not be told what I can and cannot say. Uh, but so because otherwise I'm doing a disservice to, to the people who honor me by spending time in their day to watch my show. I can't I would be doing a disservice to people who tune in if I don't give them an accurate picture of how I feel about something. Doesn't mean they have to feel the same way. I think we all understand that. But yeah, I, I yeah. So anyway, there's that. I'm going to move on from this. It's not worth any more of my time. Anyway, Captain Antarctica writes. Have you seen the online discussions about Falcon and the Winter Soldier having a pandemic or virus? Yeah, I don't buy any of that. I I, I think mm -hmm. that was that was very weakly put together uh, with rewrites and reshoots, changing the narratives. Is this the case? Uh, it, it, if this is the case, it makes sense with Carly Donna being a known actress, her dying in the vaccine. Yeah, I don't I, I've seen the discussion about it. I've seen nothing that equates actual real information to legitimately suggest that could be the case. Now, that's not me saying that it is impossible that that's the case, not at all. I'm simply telling you from the limited perspective that I have, that I have yet to see anything that's actually compelling, legitimate information that actually points to that's the case. So personally, I dismiss it. That doesn't mean it's impossible and that other information may not come to light later on. But for now, I haven't seen any legitimate information uh, that, that backs that up. Again, doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I'm just saying I have not seen such information yet. But... A lot of facts are theories until facts come to light. So who knows? We'll see what we find out moving forward. All right. Uh, Fievel Mouskowitz writes. <laughs> I like that. A little reference there. I usually don't like movies revolving around one place, but I just recently watched Conspiracy 2001, and it was just jaw-dropping. I really enjoyed that. All the different members of the Nazi party take, talking about unspeakable things for two hours with no remorse. A horror movie it is. Well, I mean, okay. So yes, but I want to go back to the first thing you said there, Fyle, Yeah. about movies that revolve around one place. Like one location? Well, I mean, I remember I took like something called, because I heard Quentin Tarantino recommend it once. I took something once a number of years ago called the two-day film school uh, with an instructor by the name of uh, Dove S.S. Simmons. And it was really cool because I ended up sitting beside the guy and I had lunch with that day. I sat beside the guy who played the dad in my big fat Greek wedding. Oh, okay. the guy who would use Windex and everything. <laughs> and so I ended up sitting with him during this thing. And one of the things that he's talked about is single location shooting. He says, don't dismiss the idea of a single location kind of thing. There are a lot of stage plays that work very effectively. If you know how to use your camera and whatever, you can tell some really great stories yeah. in, with single locations. One of the greatest, it's not literally a single location, but it's 95% a single location. There's a Sylvester Stallone movie called Oscar with um, Marissa Tomei. Um, oh, what's the name of the guy from Rocky Horror Picture Show? Uh, oh, um, why am I freezing? And Clue. And Clue, yes. And I'm 
freezing on his name. Oh my name. gosh, I love anyway, him. He, I remember the name of his character, Dr. Poole. But anyway, mostly just takes place in this house. There's a Ryan Reynolds movie that I think, Jim, uh, Tim Curry. If somebody Tim Curry, said, yes. Somebody said Jim Curry. Wait, that's not right. Darren, <laughs> Darren J. Steele we'll puts in accurately Tim Curry. So does Larry. Tim Curry, he plays Dr. Poole um, in that movie. There's a Ryan Reynolds movie that I still to this day really believe he should have gotten an Academy Award nomination for called Buried. Did you ever see it? Oh, Tom talks about that all the time. The whole movie, without a single frame of exception, the entire movie takes place in a box. Ryan Reynolds wakes up. This is how the movie starts. Ryan Reynolds' character wakes up in a box buried six feet underground. That is one of my greatest fears, is to be buried alive. And the whole movie takes place in that box. The entire movie. Well, look at Room. It's amazing. Room, Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, so I, I really Fences like that kind with of stuff. Viola Davis and Denzel Washington almost exclusively takes place in the house. And I and, and a lot of films that uh, are based off of stage plays, you know, it, it makes perfect sense. And I think that from a filmmaker standpoint, I mean, just for your budget alone, the less locations, the less locations, the more your dollar will stretch and the easier it'll be to reschedule if you need to. Okay, uh, let's move on here. Next up, we've got uh, Dennis Chip Chapman writes, Hey, John, here's a silly little question pertaining to Canada. Well, I always love questions regarding Canada, uh, which I love and respect. Being the good Canadian kid that you are, you recently mentioned Saskatchewan. I lived in Saskatchewan for a couple of years. Have you ever heard of the Guess Who's song, Going Back to Saskatoon, Check It Out? Well, I'm very <laughs> familiar with the Guess Who, but I, I'm, I, I'll, I'll admit I'm not a big Guess Who fan. So I'm going I, I don't know. back to Saskatchewan. Saska. Oh, Saska. I'm yeah. going Baska Saska. Man, I don't think so. No, I am. I'm not. I'm not. Fam- no, I'm not familiar with it. But I'll, one of the things before I ever lived in Saskatchewan, of course, one of Saskatchewan's biggest claims to fame. Did you guys ever watch Super Dave Osborne down of here in course. the States? You guys, you guys had Super Dave Osborne down here? Wait, and why am I? Tom and I were literally just watching old episodes of Super Dave like two nights ago. I'm oh, not even kidding. Seriously? Well, because we we watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, right? And I was and he's like, on Curb Your and Enthusiasm, and he's on yeah. Curb, and I could never place him. And I was like, why do I? But when I was a kid, I didn't realize that Super Dave was a joke. I thought it was a serious <laughs> show. I was a kid; I didn't understand satire. Um, I mean, I knew at the end that it wasn't actually Super Dave. You know, that was in those crazy things. But as an adult, yeah, we we went back just a few nights ago and watched some episodes of Super Dave, and uh, and and it's hilarious because he plays it so straight for so long, and then it has this really big payoff at the end of just absolute bonkers absurdity for those who don't know anything about super dave osborne the, it's basically a sketch he's a stuntman he's a professional stunt think of an, an evil knievel and he does professional stunts but it's all fictitious it started on a um uh what do you call saturday night live it's it's, it's um, a sketch a sketch show it started on a sketch show a canadian sketch show called bizarre with a comedian named john Byron or something like that who hosted it and super dave osborne began off as a as a recurring character on that and what they would do is they would go off to the location of the new Super Dave Osborne stunt. And they had this fake ESPN-like sports commentator. And whenever Super Dave Osborne was getting ready to start his stunt, um, they would always harness him with some kind of safety equipment. And what does this have to do with Saskatoon? It's all a setup to say this. The sportscaster would say, 
Now, of course, Super Dave Osborne is being strapped in with his safety belts made of genuine Saskatchewan seal skin bindings. <laughs> and that's growing up. That's the only thing I ever knew about Saskatchewan. Like, that's right. Saskatch- genuine Saskatchewan seal skin bindings is what they would say. And I, I used to love that. Anyway, I can't. Oh, no, so anyway, guess who? No, no, not really familiar with that song, but I'm going to have to go look it up, Dennis. All right. Next up. Sorry we spent so much time on that, guys. That was fun. Alan writes, Hey, John, just watch the Parks and Rec Oswald filibuster, one of the greatest things ever on television, and I love it. What's your favorite part about it? And if you could combine any universes, what would you do? We all know the answer is John Wick, Nobody, Atomic Blonde, and The Gentleman. I mean, that that one would be great. I honestly don't think in terms of combining universe. No, I take that back. The one that I always thought would work, the one combining cinematic universes that I thought, even from a narrative point of view, would be seamless. The Matrix and Terminator. Think about that. Mm. The Matrix and Terminator. If you actually look at the underlying mythologies of both, narratively, it's a very easy connect. You could connect that very, very easily. So those would be two universe kind of movie things that I could see mashing together and actually working pretty seamlessly, unlike you know Fast and Furious and Jurassic Park. Have you ever thought about like two very differing uh, universes that you could, like James Bond and Born Identity or something like that? I mean, I think I'd have to put some more thought into it. But the speaking of Parks and Rec, I would love to see a Parks and Rec and Community uh, crossover. Oh, that one would be interesting. I mean, it's a community college. It's a little park. I mean, it makes perfect sense. All right. Uh, or or even going back to its origins, like Parks and Rec in the office would be kind of good too since they were kind of like out at the same time they were on the same network and oh but they were they weren't actually parks and rec wasn't a spin-off were, of the office no no it wasn't a spin-off but, but yeah i could see that but it was like a spiritual spin-off because i remember when parks and rec ads <laughs> first started playing i'm like this is just an office ripoff right but it was on the same network right it was it had office it was very office like very office vibes all over this microphone i apologize to whoever don't worry i watch them weekly I've been vaccinated. I'm getting my second vaccination tomorrow, actually. I'm getting mine in three days. I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe being knocked on my Someone ass for 24 hours. accused us of having a super spreader event because Tom and I came over and hung out with you and Anne. FYI, two <laughs> couples who basically don't see any other human beings and get regularly tested and otherwise well, quarantined. that's the key, regularly tested. Yeah. We, we both Four people does not a super spreader event make. No, it does not. Just so you know. Yeah. And Anne and I want to keep coming after week. me on Twitter. What? Yeah, and Anne and I get tested every week because yeah. it, it's crazy here. And now that we live in Riverside, there's literally like two health places that there's like no way you just walk in tested results within 24 hours. It's been made it really, really easy for us to function. All right, let's move on here. Uh, next up. Uh, where are we at? Was that? No, now we're at Jesse. Jesse writes. Uh, three guilty pleasure movies I hate to like. Terminator Salvation. You know what? <laughs> there's some. There's things there to like. Uh, personally, still my favorite Terminator movie after T2. Push 2009. An unconventional. Oh, that's the one with Chris Evans and Dakota Fanning. And Jaimon Honsu. Jaimon Honsu is in that as well. That's actually not a bad. It was like trying to be a superhero movie without being based on any comic book IP. That wasn't a bad little movie. I did kind of like that as well. Um, and the two Fantastic Four movies, because I saw them as a kid. Yeah, those Fantastic Four movies are pretty, pretty awful. They're they're pretty awful. But you know what? I remember when I watched them too for the first time, I was just... they were, Remember, the first Fantastic Four movie came out when we weren't getting a ton of comic book material. Right. So I was just kind of 
enjoying whatever was being given to us. Yeah. But yeah. It, if that were to come out now. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now that, especially that the standards have gotten higher. All right. Next up, uh, who do we got now? We have got an anonymous viewer who writes. Some movies uh, I saw recently and enjoyed, despite being uh, panned by critics. Miami Vice 2000. I like Miami Vice. I like that one. And Into the Woods. Yeah, I didn't love Into the Woods. I got to admit, but I know a lot of people who did. Free State of Jones. Yeah, I thought Free State of Jones with Matthew McConaughey. I thought that looked like the next Oscar winner. Ooh, I didn't like it, but I'm glad you did. Uh, the Hundred Foot Journey. Also, WTF is wrong with you people and didn't go to see Dread. I I still remember. Did you ever see Dread? Did you and Tom see Carl no. Urban's Dread? No. I remember that movie looked terrible. It looked awful. Dread looked absolutely terrible. The commercials were awful. And I remember... You were like, I'm going to go see this anyway. No, you know what it was? I probably would have seen it anyway. But Comic-Con was coming up and I do my Masters of the Web panel every year at Comic-Con, right? Mm-hmm. And my guest on that panel at Comic-Con that year was Carl Urban. So you obviously had to have seen his movie. And so the day of them doing their first screening at Comic-Con of Dread, that morning I did my panel, Carl Urban was on my panel, and they had asked me if I would come and be the moderator and MC for the fan screening later that oh, evening. Oh, great. So I'm like, great. And I'm just like, I felt really weird though, because I'm just like, this movie looks like absolute shite to me. Mm-hmm. It looks so bad. I'm not going to lie and say, man, I think this movie looks great. So I had to be very diplomatic doing it. And Carl was a fantastic guest. Carl was fantastic. And so we did this thing. And then later in the evening, I go to do, I go to the theater to MC this thing. And I, I get together with Carl and the directors and everything behind the scenes. And we talk about some stuff. Then I go introduce the movie for everybody that I hadn't even seen yet. So I get in front of the audience. We got 400 people in there. And I'm like, hey, guys, are you ready to watch this? And blah, 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 blah. And then I'm watching the movie and I'm like, oh my God, this is awesome. Really? It was so visceral and it was just, just bonkers. It was just bonkers fun and nobody went to go see it. Did anyone in that panel that you were moderating, did anyone mention anything about, hey, this is a really great movie. Why is your trailer so god awful? No, no, no. Nobody brought nobody brought that up. I certainly didn't bring that up. Sure. Because I had I Carl Urban sitting beside me and I Absolutely. didn't. Absolutely. I didn't want to piss him off. I don't blame but you. The movie was so much fun. And I remember coming out of the movie and getting on my social media and just, oh my God, I just saw Dread. It's so great. Yeah. Nobody saw it, man. Nobody saw it. But but that's that's their fault that nobody saw it, because, again, because the trailers were so yeah. bad. But do yourself a favor. If you never did see Dread, take Anonymous's advice and go check that out. All right. Uh, Christian Curry writes. Uh, I'm going to skip that. I don't care. Uh, I'm ready for April 23rd, writes. I'm a fan of Joe Taslam. Yep. He has been my favorite on-screen fighter in recent interview. Uh, uh, McCod. Brooks Jacks Jacks revealed that Joe was told that he was too fast for the cameras and he had to slow down. Only one other person had been told that Bruce Lee. So he was in, if I'm not mistaken, he was in the raid, which is a a really uh, popular film. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. The raid and the raid two, or as Robert Meyer Burnett calls it the rad and rad Two, even radder. Uh, It's a lot of fun and he's been popping up in a number of things. I think I heard that story with saying that I actually had to ask uh, one of the guys. I didn't. I didn't know it was um, 
uh, it was Joe specifically, but I heard a story that say they actually had to ask, ask one of the performers on Mortal Kombat to slow down for the camera in the action scenes because they were just so fast. I didn't know it was Joe Taslin, but that actually okay, makes total sense. Okay, I'm sorry. I got to, I, I got I to, that happens all the time. Really? It happens all the time. I'm not fast and I've been told to run slower for the camera. Really? Like, I mean, I would need to know more specifically about well, it's this. martial arts. It's martial right, arts. Right, 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 right. But like, like, because it depends on how many frames per second they're shooting. That's true, yeah. And so, I mean, and, and also, I mean, just as an example, if I'm going to, if I'm standing and then I need to be sitting into a shot, I sometimes will need to like lower my body at a lower pace, uh, like at, at a slower pace. So the camera can track me as I'm going, as I'm sitting down. So I'm just like, that's a weird thing to say that like they were moving too fast for the camera because there's so many technical things that go into that. You know, was the camera panning? Was the camera, you know, on a dolly? And so the camera had to move and like, that's not that uncommon. But where it could become, where it could particularly become an issue too is when, like, because I mean, they can shoot up to like 800 frames a second. Sure. Um, they can do whatever they want. But I think it was probably a part of it. It was just like, you're moving at such a rate that it's making everyone else in the fight sequences look slow. Yeah. And I, that's, no, when you're I, I that don't, kind of I don't speed, doubt at all, certainly, that Bruce Lee that they had to definitely adjust their technical. Oh, yeah, Bruce uh, had to dumb it down for everybody else. For sure, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But it's just like, I, I I would like to know more. And I'm actually curious about that because I am interested more in, in, in learning more about the technical aspect of it and what does that really mean. But the, I don't know, that just something kind of caught my ear with that. All right, and, and by the way, Ryan Trabuco sends in like a $50 Super Chat badge in the live chat. Thank you so much for that, Ryan. Thank you for supporting our channel on that level, dude. I appreciate that, man. All right, uh, let's see. Next up, we've got Ryan G who writes, um, hey, John, um, well, there it is. Hey, John, uh, did you watch Love and Monsters? It's on. It's now on Netflix. I'm thinking about watching it. No, still haven't watched it. Heard really great things about the trailer was really charming. It reminds me a little bit about uh, it reminds me a bit like Zombieland and uh, what's it called? Not Warm Hearts. Um, oh, what was it the one with Teresa Palmer? It's called Beating Hearts, Warm Blooded, Warm Hearts, and the, the zombie love romance movie. Anyway, uh, whatever. It kind of reminded me of those two things, but I never did get around it. But I keep hearing from people that it's really, really good. And so, but I just never wanted to drop warm bodies, warm bodies. Thank you. That's the name of the movie. Warm bodies. Thank you to, to Mark Newman and Roke and everybody else. Johnny, TJ, Darren saying, yeah, warm bodies. Actually, if you haven't seen warm bodies, really nice little film. Anyway, are uh, there a lot of, are there, are there a lot of insects in warm bodies or love and months? Oh, you haven't seen love and months. I haven't seen love and months. Someone yet. said there's, that there's a lot of that, that I'm not giant insects. They said, watch it. Aaron, don't watch it. Insects, a lot of them. So uh, maybe that's Love and Monsters. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's Love and Monsters. I, but thank you very much for that, the great Bondi. I always appreciate you guys looking out for me. But thank I you. just never thought, uh, it, it's like a lot of things. If I'm going to pay $20, $25, $30 to watch a movie, I want the movie theater experience. So I just was sure. like, I'm not going to drop that money for it. But if it's on Netflix now, now I'll probably see it. Thank you for putting that on my radar, man. I appreciate that. Okay. Uh, where are we at here? Next up, we've got Dad Jokes who writes, Hey, John, Dad Jokes here. 
You said Spielberg's one and only directorial blunder, in your opinion, was The Terminal. Uh, but something just dawned on me. What about the Indy 4 movie? Uh, please clarify if you don't mind and bring on the filthy uh, $700 robot uh, toy happy ending. Yeah, so if you guys saw the show the other day, you know what Dad Jokes is talking about with the $700 robot happy ending. Anyway, um, the thing about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is this. I've said this from my very first review of the movie, and I stand by it. If Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull went by any other name, mm. like if it was uh, Doc Mitchell and the Jungle Alien Adventure, and it was the exact same movie, I think a lot of us probably would have looked at it and not thought it was a masterpiece, but thought that's a fun little adventure movie. It's possible. With- Doc, whatever I said his name on, Doc mm-hmm. Mitchell. Let's call him Doc, Doc Mitchell. Mitchell. Doc Mitchell, yeah, it's fun. Wasn't a good Indiana Jones movie. Right, there's an expectation. Yeah, but uh, most of that, see, the reason I don't I don't saddle Steven Spielberg with that one is because all of the drama, that was such a unique movie with George Lucas. Um, I mean, obviously, uh, not, uh, not David Goyer. Um, who's the guy who wrote Shawshank Redemption? Uh, I keep forgetting, uh, I keep forgetting. Anyway. So the guy who wrote Shawshank Redemption and directed Shawshank Redemption wrote a script for Indiana Jones 4, if I'm not, if I'm remembering this correctly. And Harrison Ford was on board with it. Steven Spielberg was on board with it. Frank Darabont. Thank Stephen you. Stephen King. No, Frank Darabont. Stephen King wrote the, the original story. Oh, right. Frank wrote Darabont. the original sh- yeah. short story for it. Frank Darabont. So Frank Darabont wrote an Indiana Jones 4 script. Had nothing to do with aliens. And... To do another Indiana Jones film, the triumphant had to all agree. George Lucas, Steven Spielberg, and Harrison Ford. Spielberg loved the Darabont script. Harrison Ford loved the Darabont script. George Lucas did not. And so George Lucas went out, got his own guy, and they eventually put together this thing. George and Steven are best friends. So Steven goes ahead and directs the next one anyway. But I mean, that that one I kind of considered for Steven Spielberg was a no-win situation. Um, not that the director still isn't like the bot, the buck stops here person he is, but that was such a unique set of circumstances, that movie that I don't really hold that one against Spielberg. So to me, the one true Steven Spielberg blunder is terminal, but a lot of people like terminal and I get that. But to me, it was just a bad film. It I didn't think work if you have a chance, you always go with Frank Darabont. Yes, if you have the choice. If you have a choice, like, yes. you go with the Darabont. Do you have dinner with your wife or Frank Darabont? Go with you Frank go Darabont. To, you go to dinner with Frank if Darabont. If Tom said to me for our anniversary <laughs> on July 2nd of this year, our five-year anniversary, if he said, I have a chance to go to dinner with Frank Darabont, I'd be like, I will Netflix and chill with Joey and the cats. You go. <laughs> you go. You do that. Yeah, that's never the, that is never the wrong thing to do. All right, uh, next up we hear... Caleb writes, trivia question. In the opening credits of Superman 1978, the first slide is Alexander Selkind presents, and the fourth slide is a Richard Donner film. Uh, what or who is on record and third slides respectively? Thanks and bring on the filthy. That's a great, that's a great trivia question because the opening credits for Superman, the 1978 Superman, like you'll always remember them. Like they were the first time I'd ever seen credits like that with the swooshing names and all that kind of stuff. Like at that time, now remember, I'm like a five-year-old kid, but at that time when that stuff is happening, 
like th- that and you would never seen titles like that up until then never really saw them again like that for a long time after so i totally remember the alexander Salkind name coming up but that is a good trivia question i do not know now mark newman is putting in a really good answer in the live chat saying marlon brando which normally wouldn't make sense but to get brando in there i wouldn't be surprised if brando demanded some kind of top billing to mm-hmm. be in that he of course played was in the movie very shortly playing Jorel, uh clark's dad but that's a really good one. Do me a favor, Caleb. Actually email me the answer to that at john at the John Show.com because I that's a really good trivia question. I'd like to know what the answer to that is. All right. Next up, uh, we've got James Welsh who writes, uh, you've said a lot. Sorry, sorry. Let me try this again. You said you're not a fan of derivative characters. What about Scott Lang, Hal Jordan, and Barry, uh, and Barry Allen? The originals were Hank Pym, Alan Scott, and Jay Garrick. There's a little bit of a fundamental difference between, like, for instance, the Black Panther character is supposed to be a character that is passed on from person to person for over a thousand years. Like, it's a longstanding thing. It is another thing for, you know, Hank Pym to hand off the Ant-Man mantle to Scott Lang because he we still need an Ant-Man or whatever. That's That's different from a derivative character. When I say a derivative character... What I mean is a brand new character created that is just the same as another character with a slight little change. For example, Flash, Kid Flash. Oh, I see. Batman, Batgirl. Hulk, She-Hulk. So I'm just not... I'm generally speaking... And generally, that means there are exceptions. There are exceptions, not some, I'm not some, well, if it's a derivative character, I'll never give it the time of day. No, 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 I'm nothing like that. But I just generally speaking, I'm not super enthusiastic about derivative characters. So that's why when they announced She-Hulk at uh, D23 that they were going to do a She-Hulk show, initially, I just wasn't that excited for it. So it's, it's Hulk just with a slight difference. Mm-hmm. I have gotten excited about it when I've started hearing about some storylines they're going to do, the fact that they got Tatiana Maslany to be some in the there, casting that they're... the fact that they're bringing Abomination into it. So I have gotten excited. It's not like it's a rule for me saying I refuse to be excited about something that involves a derivative character. No, it's just that for me as an individual fan, a property starts with one foot behind them if it is a derivative character. Well, because it doesn't seem like it's an original idea. And then you're automatically going in with a preconceived notion of what it's supposed to be. Even if you try not to, you're automatically going to be going in there going, all right, well, I'm going to be comparing this She-Hulk to the Mark Ruffalo version or to the Edward Norton version, depending on which Hulk version you want to compare to. And also... If I may venture a guess, I'm assuming that part of the reason why you're not super enthusiastic about derivative characters is because you've been disappointed disappointed with the portrayal of these uh, derivative characters over the lifetime of watching these films. That you haven't seen a lot of uh, these derivative characters. Like if if she flash, sorry, she flash. <laughs> there you go. There's your next character, DC. She flash. Sorry. You're welcome. Kid Flash. If <laughs> she Flash. <laughs> See, it's like we're writing it. Like it's just, it's just so creative in here. It I'm telling flows. you, Hollywood. If you need ideas for your next great projects, just come here. Um, sorry, 
if Kid Flash, for example, had been, you know, something that really, you know, oiled the engine and was really exciting and you were like, wow, I, this is so new and, uh, you know, unique and exciting and interesting. Um, and that was your experience with, wow, it seems like every time they have one character and then they do a derivative of it, it just gets that much more exciting. It just gets that much better. It just gets more creative. Then maybe we would have a different opinion. But um, historically, there's been a lot of disappointment there, which is why you don't set up your expectations to be that high. And then you're pleasantly surprised, like in the case of hopefully She-Hulk, when it's actually done really well. And good news for you, Aaron. When DC now steals your idea and creates She-Flash, 35 years from now, you can take back the IP. You can take back the copyright. I will literally write years. it down in my journal today. I will say 35 years to from my now. <laughs> unborn children and their unborn grandchildren and offspring in perpetuity, sue the fuck out of them. In 35 years. In 35, 35 years. You can go get it back. All right. Uh, next up. We've got Ryan G who writes, I agree with you, Lion King being your favorite Disney film. Actually, it's my all-time favorite animated film, period. Uh, being uh, Lion King being your all-time favorite film. But second favorite uh, Disney film, my favorite Disney film is Aladdin. Dude, I can't argue with you on that. And by the way, tipped in like $20 to send that in. Thank you, Ryan, for that support. I can't argue. Listen, there are so many great animated films that like I, I'll say, yeah, I think the greatest animated film of all time is Lion King. But I have no objection and no argument against you. If you want to say to you, it's Beauty and the Beast, first animated the film last in history. Unicorn. Or, oh, with Jeff Bridges, Last Unicorn, Jeff Bridges doing the voice of that. Or, or, or The Aladdin. Secret of Nim. Oh my God, The Secret with Nicodemus oh. and stuff like that. I love, they were supposed to do a remake of Secret <laughs> of Nim. I heard a couple of years ago. Wasn't it The Dark Crystal? Wasn't The Dark Crystal the remake or the, the that was, was Dark Crystal and Secret of Nim? Well, Dark, the original Dark Crystal came out like a long time ago, but I, I know I remember like in the last six or seven or eight yeah, years, you're right. there being talk about them revitalizing and, and rebooting Secret of Nim, which I would be totally down for. But yeah, then you get these other ones like Aladdin and stuff like that. Aladdin is so good. Yeah. Aladdin's so good. After I watched the live action Aladdin, which was way better than it had any business being. Mm -hmm. I remember going back and watching the original animated one again, which made me appreciate the live action one even more. But watching that original animated one, it's like, my God, this is so good. Yeah. With, with Robin Williams and, ah, so wonderful. So wonderful. All right. Um, next up. So that's a good pick, Ryan G. That's a good pick. All right. K Major writes, uh, one or two. Thanks, John, for putting me in my place regarding bandwagon fans. Oh, okay. So uh, just, just so you guys know, just so you guys know context. The other day, I did a live stream specifically about how called How to YouTube, which is a terrible title, I know, but I didn't know what else to call. <laughs> Basically, it was, it was a little over three hours of us just talking about and taking live questions regarding anything you want to know about developing, coming up with your concepts, growing your YouTube channel or podcast or whatever, gear, software, tech, all that kind of stuff. And we spent like three full hours on it, and I just shared whatever limited experience I have. So what happened was K Major wrote in and, and wrote in this great thing that he was starting this thing about, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, K Major, his love of the Yankees, like his love of the New York okay. Yankees. That's a great, great topic. Absolutely. But K Major said, one of the things K Major said was, was something that a lot of us have said. I just don't want bandwagon fans. I just hate bandwagon fans. What does that even mean? A bandwagon fan is basically, 
You were never a fan of this oh, thing. But now that the Yankees are winning, I want to be. Now you're fan. hopping on board with it. Yeah. You know what? Who cares? That's exactly what I said. I said, listen, if you want to make a YouTube channel about that, don't start off by putting up a door that says your reason for being a fan has to meet my criteria about why you're a fan. Be an open, inviting place. It doesn't matter what reasons people become a fan of something. All that matters is, is they're enjoying it, and now they want to come and share that joy on your YouTube channel. So I said, don't be one of those guys where it's like, you have to be the proper kind of fan. You know what I mean? Well, because also, I mean, similarly, when you asked me to be more regular on your show, you said, here's the thing. I'm going to need you to watch all the MCU films yep. or at least like I'm going to need you to watch this list. And it was a lot because I hadn't seen any of them. <laughs> and you were like, this is your homework. If you're going to come in once a week, there's a certain amount of information you need to know. And but but you were like, but here's your here's why your opinion is valuable on the show. But then through like through my, you know, little baby steps of getting interested in the MCU and then watching it, you then got to live vicariously of my discovery of these characters for the first time. You know that I was not a Star Wars fan, that I'd never seen Star Wars, that I had no connection to Star Wars How whatsoever. How did Tom marry you? Oh, I totally <laughs> lied to him. I was like, yay, I'll be Leia and we can dress our babies up like Yoda. And he was like, oh my God, you're my Star Wars dream girl. And then we got married and I was like... <laughs> I've never seen it. Um, and <laughs> and he's been trying to divorce me ever since, and I just won't let him do it. Uh, but like you, when I started watching Mandalorian, you were like, wow, you're discovering these characters for the first time. If you were going to host a show about the Yankees and you love the Yankees and you've been a diehard since day one and someone comes in and they're like, I, I'm not really a baseball fan, but I just saw this team and I really like them and I kind of want to learn more about them. That's a great opportunity to then go, yes, come in and let's welcome you in and let me share with you all of this incredible historical knowledge of, you know, this team that's been around for so long and how they, I, I think it's a great opportunity to um, not only what you said, welcome in people as much as possible, but also to to live vicariously through someone just discovering something new for the first time. That's why it's fun to go to Disneyland with a kid. Because you get to see them discovering something new for the first time, and you live vicariously through that enjoyment. Um, so let's let's get back to K Major's question here. Writes uh, oh, from putting my fish random barring running fans. The Nets. Sorry, it wasn't Yankees. It was the it was the Nets. It was the NBA's Nets. Sorry, I, I got thing. that wrong. Somebody Whatever. else wrote in about that. I mean, the Nets um, spent quite a bit of time in obscurity, so it was frustrating to see people who weren't with us when the chips were down come out of the woods all of a sudden, and we're when we're good. But uh, I totally get where you're coming from as far as building a podcast and alienating fans. I felt so bad. I was like, oh, crap. Can't be thinks I'm a monster. No, no. I, I think we all have that tendency. I just want to say, make sure we fight that tendency. Uh, that's the that far from whom I am. Uh, thanks for the words of wisdom. You are a scholar and a gentleman. Bring on the filthy. So. What I want to what what I want to highlight here though about that is is this this is it's like very reminiscent this happens in every fandom because I remember like like you know me I don't like the Star Wars prequels I I think they're rubbish I don't like them at all but you know if somebody was like a child when those movies were coming out or those prequels were the gateway for some people to get into Star Wars that's great 
celebrates that. No, because I know I know some fellow Star Wars fans who are like, if you weren't down with the Battle of Hoth, you're not a real <laughs> Star Wars fan. It's like, no, it's like whatever it is, like if we're part of a fandom, just celebrate whatever it is that is bringing other people into that fandom and now discovering, as you were pointing out, now discovering the joy that there is in that fandom, not just for their benefit, but for your benefit and for the entire fandom's benefit. So yeah, to me, like me, I don't mind when somebody just gets on something when it's hot. I mind when somebody jumps off something once it gets cold. Right. Like I was a fan. Oh, but we have see. like I'm a Toronto Maple Leafs fan. Mm -hmm. That means I have lived a life of pain, of pain (laughs) and disappointment and loss. Yeah. Because this team sucks and they've sucked my entire lifetime. But they're my Leafs, which is why I'm kind of hope that's I'm so glad they're doing good this year. But and by the way, just so you guys know, they're the Leafs. Not the leaves. No, no. They're not the Toronto Maple Leaves. They're the Leafs. The Leafs, which grammatically is incorrect, but that's what they are. They're the Leafs. Leafs with an F. Mm. Anyway, oh, I just realized uh, you have got something that you have to attend to. John uh, always got- knows when it's time for me to go because um, I can't hold my bladder more than an hour and a half. <laughs> so I start wiggling around. We all know here that Aaron has a bladder the size of a ping pong ball. That's so. how I know when we're in a movie theater, too. It's like once Aaron starts doing this. In a movie theater, it's like any second start, she's like, going to get up and leave. She's going to turn to me and ask, is this a good time to go to the bathroom? Anyway, Aaron, thank you so much for being here. And to little Joey Bishop, thank you so much. Um, anyway, in the meantime, where can people follow you and your adventures online? You can come see me um, at Aaron L. Cummings on Twitter, Instagram, and we can chat on Clubhouse. So come join and let's uh, let's talk it out. All right, guys, that is the wonderful Erin Cummings. She'll, of course, be back. Oh, bye, Joey. Um, but listen, guys, we still have time. We still have more time to keep going through more of your questions. So let's keep this thing right on rolling, shall we? All right, next up. And thanks for sending that in, K Major. All right, next up, the Wakanda Forever writes, Okay, no more Ninja Turtles. So you're a Transformers guy. Like you, I like the first Transformers and actually like the Bumblebee movie even more. Yeah, I thought the Bumblebee movie was great. And I went in with a little bit of trepidation, but I thought the Bumblebee movie was great. Uh, I haven't heard any news. Do you think they will continue with a Bumblebee sequel or is the franchise done? No, the franchise isn't done, but I'm still a little unclear about where they're going. There have been a number of reports um, that... They're going to do like three different Transformers movies and they might even be in different continuities. Like one might be a continuation of Bumblebee. Might, one might be something else. To be honest with you, conflicting information has come out about it. And I'm not really clear on what the status is. The only thing I know for sure, the only thing I know for sure is that they are going to do more Transformers. I mean, that's a non-negotiable paramount and hasbro and e1 they're just all too invested in that there's too much money to be made so we will get more i'm just not exactly clear right now what their direction is going to be i'm sure they do but you know i don't right now all right next up timothy writes hey john last week when i asked you why did you stop making standalone videos for 50 dollars tippers i didn't realize it was going to be such a big deal on the channel and actually upset some people i didn't see anybody get upset uh sorry about that my man i did figure that you probably stopped uh, because you got overwhelming, because it got overwhelming due to your increased fan base and subscription numbers. I just wanted to see if my hunch was correct. Anyway, I love the show. Regardless, keep being awesome, my friend. No, listen, Timothy, it was a totally valid question that you asked. That was a very valid question. For those of you who don't know what Timothy's talking about, I used to do a thing on the show where if you tipped 
in like $50 or more when you sent in a question, not only would I answer the question on the show like I do all the others, but I would also then later record its own standalone three to five minute video and put that standalone video up on my channel. It seemed like a great idea. It seemed like a great idea. The problem was that so many people started responding to it and doing it that I started falling behind on getting them done. And then it got to the point after a month or two or or three months, it got to the point where somebody was sending in like a $50 tip question supporting our channel and they weren't getting their individual standalone video made for like 10 days, 12 days, whatever, because I just kept falling behind. So even though we were generating a lot of revenue for the channel um, with that program, the reality was I felt it was unfair to those people sending it in that they were having to wait for a week to two weeks to get those questions answered. So I had to make the very difficult decision, (laughs) very difficult financial decision to just pull the plug on it because I felt it wasn't being fair to those people who were sending in those tips because I couldn't get to them in a timely manner. Now, uh, a lot of people then responded to what Timothy wrote in and saying, John, you could do this, you could do this, you could do this, some very good ideas. And listen, I'm open to it. I'm open to bringing it back. If you've guys got some ideas about how to properly do it and, you know, and it's, you know, worth the time for people to send that in, I'm open to ideas. So, and I've had some people email me ideas, so please continue to do so. Again, I just want to make sure if people are supporting the channel, um, that they feel like they're being, um, responded to in a timely manner. Right. And if I can't do that, it doesn't matter if we're making money on it or not. I, I can't do that, you know? So that was my take on it. Anyway, thank you for, for that, Timothy, and thank you for clarifying your position on it. I appreciate that, dude. All right, next up. Um, uh, Mikhail writes, one of three, about PlayStation Now. I don't recommend getting it if you plan... Uh, if you plan to use it for PlayStation exclusives, PlayStation exclusives sometimes don't show up for years because their exclusives sell a lot. Even when they do put their exclusives on there, uh, it's for a limited time only. You see all of Xbox's exclusives on Game Pass because they don't typically sell huge amounts of copies, and Microsoft is very heavily leaning into Game Pass as the future of Xbox. Also, about Kingdom Hearts, yes, it's on Game Pass, but not on PC. There's a lot of games for PC on Game Pass, but the library on PC isn't the exact same as Xbox. So where this is coming up from is that I mentioned the other day that I recently got Game Pass. I don't have an Xbox. But I recently found out, recently, a little while ago, I found out about Game Pass. And I got Xbox Game Pass for my PC, and I've been able to play, like, a ton of games I never would have played before because I can I have Xbox Game Pass right on my computer. Now, I want to get a PS5. I have a PS4 Pro, but I don't have a PS5 yet because I can't get my hands on one. But somebody then wrote in and said, hey, there's this thing called PS Now or something like that, right? And I thought, well, wow, that sounds great too. But then people like McKeel have been very nice and writing into me saying, John, you may not want to do that because it's not the same as Game Pass. You know, new titles may come out and you may never get to play them for years. We're on Game Pass, new titles come out and I can play them right away. So thank you for giving me that input, McKeel. It really helps me a lot with making my decisions as a consumer. So I think I will do that. I think I will just stick with Game Pass and then I'll get the PS5 whenever I can get my hands on the PS5. So there's that. So thank you again for your sage advice, everybody, and you, McKeel, in particular, for helping me make a well-informed consumer decision. Thank you for that, man. All right, S. Beam, 
Uh, tips in like $20. Thank you, S-Beam, for that. S-Beam writes, you really think that everyone thought Sam was Smiling Tiger? No, I didn't think everybody thought Sam was Smiling Tiger. I just think none of them recognized him as, uh, as that. Are we, are we really going back to this again? I thought we moved past this like two weeks ago. Anyway. Uh, haha, just kidding. Uh, see, you got me there. Do you feel this episode will be pivotal? T- uh, obviously, this came in 19 hours ago. So this question got sent in just before uh, the new episode dropped. Do you feel this episode will be pivotal uh, to turn pivotal to turn of this show? Uh, will it end on a high note or a low note? Uh, no power broker. Guess here. Just highly anticipating the rest of the show. And yeah, this was. Well, look, when you have a show that's only six episodes long, like Falcon and the Winter Soldier, every episode is, I mean, by necessity, something of a turning point, right? Like every single episode is a bit of a turning point. You know, give me a second. I'm going to grab another drink. Got my my mini fridge over here with all my, yeah, you know, other guys would have beer. Uh, I have Zevia uh, because I don't drink alcohol. Uh, anyway, uh, at least I generally don't drink alcohol. So I will just pour this out. Uh, yeah, so almost like by necessity, almost every single episode is a turning point to a degree. Uh I thought there was some very pivotal stuff in there. And again, I I don't want to go into spoilers or anything like that right now. We'll talk about that in our spoiler discussion later this afternoon. Once again, that's at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time. But um, several things, including there was a major character turning point for Bucky. There's a clear, obvious, big turning point for Sam. There's an obvious, big, clear turning point for John Walker. I mean, there's a big turning point for Carly. So yeah, there was a, there's a, obviously a big turning point for Zemo. So yes, several, several big turning points. And like somebody else mentioned a little bit earlier, S-Beam, um, I'm starting to wonder if we're going to see Power Broker at all. And maybe that's not such a bad thing, but we'll see. We still got one episode to go. Okay, next up, uh, the Wakanda Forever writes. Dinner and a show. My girlfriend's brother's birthday. Uh, going to Benihana. And then, you know what? I've only been to a Benihana like twice. But it's really good. Anyway, going to Benihana and then Century Theaters to see Godzilla versus Kong. Nice. That's a fun time at the theater. Going to try their D-Box movie experience for the first time. They say giant screens, motion seats, like an amusement park ride. Listen, I'll be honest with you. I have tried the motion seat thing before. I personally... Don't get that much out of that. Like, for instance, even in like AMC, uh, the prime theaters, they build in these subwoofers in the seat so the seat will rumble. And while I love the the prime, the, the Dolby prime theater experience, love it. That's a feature that I could give or take. I don't really care about that feature too much. I liked it a lot at first, but now it's just, I don't know, a bit of an annoyance. And I have a feeling I would probably get that way about the motion seats too. But I also know some people that really like that stuff. They like the subwoofers in the seat. They like the motion seats. So it's all a matter of preference, I suppose. Not really a big thing for me, but for some other people it is. And I hope you have a good time at it, man. All right, next up, Caleb writes in one of two. Uh, another huge caveat on Godzilla versus Kong box office is it has yet to open in markets that accounted for 23% of uh, King of the Monsters box office, including the UK, 8.8 million, France, 5.7 million, Spain, 1.7 million, Germany, 4.7, Russia, 4.5, J- Japan, 25.4, United Arab Emirates, 2.3, Taiwan, 8.2, and Indonesia. That's a, that's a really good thing because actually, let me look this up for a second. Uh, Godzilla versus Kong box office. So right now, I don't know if they've updated their tallies yet. It doesn't look like they have yet. 
Nope. They still they haven't updated the tallies on it. From what I understand, it could be that as of today, Godzilla versus Kong has already passed Godzilla King of the Monsters. That's nuts. Considering we are still in a pandemic. There are still a lot of people not willing to go to the theaters. What theaters are open, most of them have limited theater capacity. And yet in the midst of all of that, Godzilla versus Kong and Godzilla versus Kong is out on HBO Max. So people had that other option to watch it if they wanted instead of getting the real true experience of watching it on the big screen. And it either has or is about to pass Godzilla King of the Monsters. That is crazy. And if anybody was looking for like solid concrete proof that people have been itching to get back to the movie theaters that's it man to me that's it right there anyway and like you just point out caleb it still hasn't even opened in a lot of those markets maybe won't uh caleb writes the news is even better for godzilla versus kong when you look at country by country comparisons in mexico king of the monsters only made 10.1 million and godzilla versus kong has already made 16.2 Also in China, 135.4 versus 165.4. South Korea, 2.6 versus 4.8. In Australia, 4.3 versus 10.8. And that's only with three weekends. It's crazy. Like, it it is truly astonishing numbers. And again, the other thing you got to keep consideration is, it's not like the MonsterVerse movies are hugely popular. They're not. It's not like Godzilla versus Kong is the newest DCEU movie or the newest Avengers movie or whatever, where everybody, everybody in the world just can't wait to watch it. You know, it was the next installment of the MonsterVerse, which hasn't been crazy popular up till now. And so when you really take all that in consideration, Caleb, it is truly ridiculously impressive what Godzilla versus Kong has been able to do. It's it's it really is good. And it's such a fun time. I just put up a video last night actually. Guys, you should go check it out called The Five Worst Things About Godzilla versus Kong. Now you might be saying, well John, I thought you liked it. Oh I do. I loved watching Godzilla versus Kong. But if we're gonna have an open, honest discussion about movies, I am personally secure enough in what I like and don't like that if I really like a movie, like I really like Godzilla versus Kong, I'm personally secure enough that I can talk about the problems of the movie and not feel threatened. I know there are some film fans that are very insecure about the movies they love and they can't handle talking about the negative aspects. I have no problem with that. I actually think it's more fun to talk about the pros and the cons. So I put up this video that uh, actually Ray Ora, my 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 brother-in-law, Ray Ora did the editing on most of it. Uh, Ray did editing on most of it. I thought he did a terrific job editing that. And uh, it's it's a movie that I really like. But there were also five very big problems with it to me. So we put up a video of that yesterday. But I really do enjoy this movie a lot. I loved watching it in the theaters. I'm going to watch it in the theaters again. And uh, yeah, it is crazy what it's been able to accomplish. It's really crazy what it's been able to accomplish. Anyway, Willow writes, um, you said that prior to it being announced, you didn't think Suicide Squad was going to be the movie that James Gunn was going to choose or direct for WB. Which superhero movie did you think he was going to choose? I'll be honest with you. I thought he would do Superman. And I know they offered him Superman. They offered him Superman. But so I th- I just personally thought that Superman is just too big and delicious of an option there to pass up. Like how many people in history are going to be able to say I directed a Superman movie? Not a lot. It's small company. And so when Gunn decided he was going to go with WB, I really thought it was going to be Superman that he would do. 
But when they said Suicide Squad is the one he chose that he wanted to do, after I got over my initial surprise, and you think about it, when you understand James Gunn and his DNA as a filmmaker, you very quickly go, that actually makes perfect sense. Suicide Squad is actually the perfect movie for him to do for Warner Brothers. It's actually the perfect movie for him to do with Warner Brothers. And so, yeah, once I got over that initial surprise, because I thought, if not Superman, I thought he might have gone for one of the big guns, right? I thought he might have gone for Flash, or he might have gone for Green Lantern, or something along those lines. When he decided he wanted to take a crack at Suicide Squad, at first, that's crazy, and then at second, I was like, no, it would be crazy to not do that. This is perfect for James Gunn. So that's kind of my take on it. All right, next up. Uh, Fred Lambert writes, uh, Hey, John, recently rewatched the, the Last Samurai. It's really good, especially the ending. I That movie, I have gone back and watched it a few times over the years. And every time I do, I appreciate it more and more. Anyway, what a great movie. I just love everything about it. The score, the score is great. Uh, the acting, the fight scenes, the lifestyle of the Samurais. And the ending always gets me. The ending's fantastic. One of my favorite movies, Thoughts, love the show. I, I love it. Again, and it's one of those movies that I liked the first time I saw it. I liked The Last Samurai the first time I saw it. And 95% of the time, our first impression of the movie is our lifelong impression of the movie. The Last Samurai is one of those 5% of films that I have grown in my appreciation for it the more and more I've seen it. Man of Steel is like that for me, too. I just like it more and more every time I watch it. Last Samurai is one of those films, too. The artistry, the the set design, the costuming. I mean, you really feel like they have, they've taken, taken you into that world, and you feel like you're in there. And I, the performances are great. It's a, it's a wonderful movie, Fred. I really, really do like it. All right, next up. Uh, Major Tom writes, greetings, John. In the realm of films actually seeing the light of day, I would say that Indiana Jones 5 is more likely to see a release than something than, say, Todd McFarlane's Spawn reboot. I agree with you 100%. Uh, he's been working on that for over 20 years. Yeah, listen, I agree. Oh, look, I think, John, how can you still think there's a chance they're not making Indiana Jones 5? I'm a pessimist when it comes to Indiana Jones. I Even though they just announced... Um, Mads Mikkelsen, and I know they're saying they don't know what his role is. I can tell you it is of the villain. I cannot tell you exactly how I know that's a villain. Well, somebody else who is a friend of mine who is a journalist in the UK uh, found out with 100% certainty, and they told me. But I can tell you for certain that Mads Mikkelsen is playing the villain of Indiana Jones 5, even though they haven't confirmed that yet. Um, they're, they're casting these people. Why? Do, I still think it's a coin toss if it gets made. But I have said from day one about the Todd McFarlane spawn thing. I said, I have, I will be shocked. It's not impossible, but I will be shocked if that movie ever actually gets made. I will be shocked if that gets made. Unless Todd McFarlane understands that studios aren't just going to let him do whatever it is he wants to do because he's never directed anything before. Um, and they're just not going to just play ball with him because he's Todd McFarlane. And of course, over the years, we've heard him express his frustration that studios aren't letting him do what he just wants to do because they know, hey, Todd, you've never made a film before. You don't know what you're talking about. But I will, to this day, I will be shocked if they ever get that movie made. Again, I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm definitely not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying I'll be very, very surprised 
the day they announced that Todd McFarlane's Spawn movie is actually happening, unless he's not directing anymore. So uh, that's where I'm at on that. So you're right about that, Major Tom. All right. James Lockman writes, one of four. Okay, John. So I've been writing in the past a few days regarding PS Now on PlayStation. As I mentioned, this has been coming up a little bit. Here's the most important thing about PS Now, and it's only for you. The remasters, Day of the Tentacle. Oh, is that on PS Now? You guys got to understand, Day of the Tentacle is one of my easily top five, one of my favorite top five all-time video games is Day of the Tentacle uh, is on there. If Anne never sees you uh, again, it's because you've been playing it. You can blame me. There are some uh, there are some games new to PS Now, like World War Z, The Avengers, and Borderlands 3. I think PS Now has better games than Game Pass because of all the great exclusive games Sony owns, Studios have made like uh the god of war series uncharted series a lot those are those are big big reasons those are big titles last of us ratchet and clank and so many more all these are on there including a game that many of your viewers recommend a game called until dawn i know some people involved who made that game if you if you do get it i recommend a game called detroit i've actually played detroit i i got uh i did play detroit and i enjoyed it it's a little choose your own adventure basic kind of game that it's not a lot of gameplay in it it's really more a choose your own adventure kind of game but the story of it was actually pretty good uh it's a great game with a really good story where your choices and actions can affect the outcome of the story i love that developers use real faces and voices of the actors in the game which is true they do like clancy brown in the game who plays like this cop yeah he's great indeed but yeah day of the tentacle now for if any of you have never heard of day of the tentacle let me see if i can bring this up here because you might be saying, John, that sounds like Japanese porn. It totally does sound like Japanese porn. Um, Day of the Tentacle. But I am just telling you, it is absolutely fantastic. It is absolutely fantastic. It is kind of a puzzle game where you just basically got to figure out basic things. I'm trying to think of a good game to compare it to. Like something that would be a good comparison for Day of the Tentacle. I can't really think of one off the top of my head. But basically... Literally, this living tentacle is traveling around time trying to take over the world. But it is funny. It's hilarious. The puzzles have great range. By what I mean by that is like some of the puzzles are very easy to do. And some of the puzzles like, wait a minute, I don't have a banana. Where the hell are you supposed to get a banana in here? You're going through all the some of the puzzles like really difficult to do, but it's really fun. Oh, my God. It is a really, really fun game. And I remember when I heard they did a remastered of it, I've never gotten around to playing it again, but I played this thing a lot. And yes, uh, Valkyrie in the live chat is saying it's a LucasArts game. Yes, it's exactly right. It's a LucasArts game. So fun. I love that game. And uh, I do have to, I'm, you know what? I might have to do a play in chat. Um, I might have to do a play in chat. I might have to get my hands on the remastered Day of the Tentacle and do a play in chat because it's literally probably been 15 years. It's probably been a good 15 years since I've played it, but I just remember being it's so damn fun. So damn fun. All right. Thanks a lot for that, James. I appreciate it, dude. All right. Next up, we've got a couple of minutes left here. Uh, James Lockman also writes, uh, I'm a huge fan of the Uncharted games and I love Tom Holland as Spider-Man, but my favorite choice to play Nathan Drake has always been Tom Hardy. Interesting. Uh, most people will say Nathan Fillion, but yeah, Tom Hardy's a great actor. Uh, he was great in Mad Max, and I think he has the right build for the character. I'm looking forward to the film. Well, here's the thing, though. This is why I never do fan casting and fantasy casting is because Tom Hardy does not fit 
this movie because this movie is about a younger Nathan Drake. So Tom Hardy instantly becomes a bad choice to play that role. So what you really want is a, is a different, you want a different uncharted movie, but the movie they're doing, Tom Hardy would have been the wrong choice to play it. Cause obviously they want to start with him being younger. Now, of course, a lot of people still think of Tom Holland and they think, oh, he's like 16 years old. No, the dude's like 24 or 25 years old. I was like, hey, Google, how old is Tom Holland? I think he's like 24 or 25. And my Google's not answering me. Oh, I guess it didn't hear me. Sorry to everybody else who, if I triggered your uh, things, hold on a second, let me go with this. How old is Tom Holland? Let me see. Tom Holland is 24 years old. So he's, he's not like a kid. He's 24 years old. He's turning 25 in like a couple of weeks. He's turning 25 in a couple of weeks. So he ain't no kid. And in like six or seven years, he's going to be in his 30s. You know, he's going to grow into it. Um, but yeah, I'm very, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I'm actually very excited about this uh, Uncharted movie. I think this kid is a terrific talent. I shouldn't call him a kid. He's like almost 25 years old. I think he is a terrific talent. And I like what Sony has been doing lately. And so I'm actually pretty excited to see this. We'll see where it goes. But hey, listen, Tom Hardy is a fantastic actor. And if they had announced an Uncharted movie with him playing Nathan Drake, I would have been all on board with that. Totally would have. All right, next up. Uh, We've got Mr. Wolfgang writes, "Uh, but what is Friday if not the day we watch Mandalorian, The Boys, WandaVision, Invincible, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I mean, seriously, Friday is the day to watch television. You know, for me... Falcon and Winter Soldier and WandaVision is actually Thursdays because, you know, Thursday comes and for me, it airs at midnight. So I stay up till midnight and watch it. But yes, for most people, it's Friday. Um, But it's a great one two punch because I get to watch Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And then I know the next day, whenever I got some time, I'm going to be able to sit down and watch the next episode of Invincible. So I haven't seen the newest episode of Invincible yet, but I can't wait. Actually, by the way, let me ask you guys something for those of you who know down here. Um, How many. Um. Uh, what is it I'm asking? Yes. Do any of you guys know how many episodes Invincible is supposed to be? Do any of you guys know the answer to that? Uh, because I have no idea. Like, it's funny because Ann and I, we you know, we were making breakfast this morning and we we're like, okay, can't wait to watch uh, Invincible today. And, but then we were all like, oh, but wait, um, what, how many episodes are left? Like how many episodes are in it? So I don't know if you guys, so you guys are saying eight. Okay. Only eight episodes. Well, Arjun is saying 10, but everybody else is saying eight. Uh, see, I, I fucking hate eight episode seasons. I hate it. Anyway. <laughs> so imagine how I feel about Falcon and Winter Soldier only being six. Anyway. Okay. Just eight episodes. Only two more left. Ah, oh, God, I hate that. Oh, well, Is I'll just be grateful for what we got. I'll just be grateful for what we got. All right, last question we got time for here today, guys. Comes to us from Teddy D who writes, Hey, John, if you had to make a movie with at least three related actors, uh, which family would you choose? I think I would go with the Skarsgårds, maybe the Sheens if you count Emilio. Well, I mean, no, the Sheens are great. Uh, I love Emilio Estevez. So you got Emilio Estevez, uh, Martin Sheen, and then, of course, you have to go with Charlie Sheen, who's a bit of a wreck, but whatever. Uh, the Skarsgårds are a great choice. So the Skarsgårds are good. Obviously, you got the Baldwins are, are in there. But honestly, honestly, even if you had to 
make up a third fake sibling? The answer to that question is the fine, the fines, the fines brothers. Um, those are the guys. Now I have said for a while, um, okay. Uh, I have said for a while that Rafe Fines is the best actor on the planet who does not have an Academy Award right now. I think Ray Fiennes is the best actor on the planet who doesn't have an Academy Award on his mantle. I still believe that wholeheartedly. Uh, It used to be Gary Oldman, but he now has an Academy Award. I believe the greatest actor in the world who does not currently have an Academy Award is Ray Fiennes. His brother, Joseph Fiennes, is also a remarkable actor. I mean, obviously he was the, the star of Shakespeare in Love, right? But he's also currently one of the stars in uh, Handmaid's Tale. He's one of the stars of Handmaid's Tale. And he's so good in Handmaid's Tale. He's just so good. But everything that Joseph Fiennes is in is remarkable. Like, he's he's just incredible. One of my favorite performances of his was him and Al Pacino in my favorite Al Pacino performance of all time, Al Pacino played Shylock in a version of Merchant of Venice. You should go find it because to me, it's my all-time favorite Al Pacino performance. But Joseph Fiennes is in that with Al Pacino and he's almost as good as Al Pacino's greatest performance of his career, in my opinion. You should check it out. It's really, really great. Um, But yeah, so even though that's only two, I don't know if they have a third sibling. I would literally... I would bring in a broomstick and say this broomstick is the third Fines brother and just just Rafe and Joseph together that's the answer. To me that is that is the most powerful as far as I mean if acting ability was a mutant power those two are the two most powerful sibling mutants in the world. Their combined acting power, I think, outshines any other sibling combination. And that's with all due respect to the greatness of the Skarsgård family. But, yeah, Rafe and Joseph Fiennes, I mean, yeah, I would, yeah, I'd go with them in a heartbeat. All right, guys, uh, that will do it for all the time we have here today. Listen, there are still some questions to go. Uh, John is my girlfriend's hall pass. Sean H., Wakanda Forever, and others. Do not worry. This weekend, I you can tell we got up to only about 13 hours ago that these questions came in. So... We are going to get all caught up this weekend. We'll do a companion video this weekend. We'll get caught up on all the rest of the questions as well. Uh, So just keep your guys open. So starting off with, uh, who are we at here? Uh, the next up is going to be John is my girlfriend's pass. So on our next companion video, we'll start off with John is my girlfriend's pass and we'll get through all the rest of the questions. But for now, guys, that is all of our time here today. Thank you for being here and making this show a part of your day. Uh, remember guys, do the four main things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves and take care of the people around you. Don't forget that today at 4 p.m. Los Angeles time, we're going to do our Falcon and Winter Soldier open spoiler discussion. Hope to see you guys then. Other than that, congratulations for making it through to the end of another week. May you have a wonderful weekend planned ahead of yourselves. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name's John Campia, and until next time, my friends, bye-bye.